So Genesis 49 is Jacob who's taken a large chunk of this book. It's his last will and testament. He's going now, if you would, to bestow upon his kids the final word. So he gathers his boys together and he's gonna pronounce blessings on them. So let's jump in, verse one. Then Jacob called his sons, all 12, and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Now, they're all adults at this point, probably my age, maybe a little bit older, that kind of age. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob, listen to Israel, your father. And then from this point on, he's going to go through all 12 and say something to them. And I'll just very quickly reference verse 28, because it'll help you understand what he does. So all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. So dad knows his boys and he assembles them and he speaks to them what's suitable, what matches them. One of the biggest surprises in my life was the fact that my kids were each different. I thought I got Carissa figured out. I'm just gonna like, you know, pump these kids out like Ikea flat pack furniture. I got the formula, just, we'll just put these kids together and just assembly line, right? Well, my first child, my first boy, I should say, taught me very quickly the difference between boy and girl. So it was a Wednesday night. I think he was three and a half. We leave here, we're driving home and we're, we're in the suburban and we're winding up to our house. And right when we're winding up there, a fox runs across the road and then gets to this fence and he just stops at this fence. So I swerve the suburban so that my lights are shining on this little fox. And it's just, just this cute little silver tailed fox. And he's just kind of stuck there. And then he just looks at us. And my three girls are like, oh, he is so cute. Dad, can we get out and pet him? Can we take him home? Dad, do we have something to feed him? And then Elijah pops up from the back seat. He looks over and goes, Dad, can I shoot him? I was like, well, that's different. And I'm not a hunter. I don't have guns. I'm, not that. I'm like, where in the world did that come from? Right? Just boy. Boy is different than girl. And then each of my girls, they're just so different. One loves horses. One loves malls. One loves candy. And they are just opposite ends of the spectrum. I think it's really important to remember that that there's not some kind of a formula. And the thing that always puzzles me about parenting books is the majority of them say it's a formula. And I'm like, nah, that, what you just said right there would not work with one of my kids. That would crush that child. And what we're supposed to be doing, kids should drive you to your knees. The proper response to parenting is like, oh, Jesus, help me. Oh man, that's the proper response. Okay, you got parenting then, help me. So what you're going to see here with this 
blessings as he's taking each child and going, I know you, and this is what you need. This is not Ikea flat pack furniture that I have some kind of a formula. Each one needs something different. And some of them, you'll see, it's pretty, pretty brutal. So let's go. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Here's what Reuben is. Reuben is squandered potential. So verse three is telling you the culture of that day, that the firstborn had everything The firstborn would be told from the time he was born, you are special. You are unique. One day this clan will be yours. One day you will take this over. The dad would say to him essentially, you are me. You are the next me. That's who you are. He would get all that attention his whole life. Do you know how that would shape a child? It's like this. Maybe you read this study. It's in Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, where he found out that the majority of professional hockey players are born in January. Like 40% are born in that one month. Now that's crazy, isn't it? Well, here's why. When they put together little five-year-old hockey teams, it's by birth year. So if you're born in 2017 or 2012, all the 2012-year-olds go play hockey together. And so a kid that was born in January He's playing with kids that were also born in December. So it's almost like he has a whole year of advantage over the kid born in December. So guess what happens to that kid that's a lot bigger than all the other kids? He gets all the coaching. He gets all the time. He gets all the extra effort. And what that does is begin to shape him and mold him into a much better player. And that happens in almost every sport where they do it that way. Even the better player, because he was born later, doesn't get the playing time, doesn't get the extra coaching, and he doesn't quite develop as well. Well, that would be Reuben. For his whole life, he's getting that extra, that uh, that ah. And what does it do to him? Well, it makes him entitled. That's what it does. I deserve this. And entitlement is one of the most dangerous things that can happen to a person. Because what that begins to do to your brain is this, hey, well, I deserve that. I've been good. I'm gonna take that and I'm gonna use that and I'm gonna use people. And that's exactly what he does. So then after verse three, hey, this is your potential. He goes, you're as unstable as water. What does water do? This goes to the lowest spot, right? There's a movie out right now, like The Shape of Water. Spoiler alert, it goes to the shape of the container. I'm just gonna tell you that. I don't know what the movie is about at all. I just said, well, it goes always to the shape of the container. It doesn't have its own backbone. It doesn't have its own thing. And that's what happens with Reuben. You just take whatever the shape is of the culture or whatever's happening around you, you just go to that shape. You don't have your own backbone. You are weak and undisciplined. And what happens with Reuben is this. He takes his entitlement and decides, I deserve one of my dad's wives and seduces her and ends up sleeping with her. And Jacob, his response is, is like, 
you went up to your father's house and defiled it. And then he like adds on, you went up to my couch. It's like, he's just flabbergasted at this point as a 147 year old man. How in the world could you have done that? How awkward would this conversation be? All 12 boys are there, <laughs> right? You slept with one of my wives. So you're out. He has squandered potential. Now the next two boys are grouped together because they both have the same problem. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not come into their counsel. Oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger, they killed men. And in their willfulness, they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. And their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. These two boys, young men or men my age, have anger issues. And you know what they did when their, when their sister, I should say, Dinah was raped. They went to the city that the man came from. And instead of just dealing with the man that did it, they killed every single person inside that city. They acted in vengeance, not for justice. They let their anger get the, get the best of them and they go in there and completely annihilate, decimate that population. And then he says this, he adds on, you willingly hamstrung oxen. You know what that is? It's that big giant tendon that runs behind uh, an ox's leg. And if you cut that tendon on the back of an oxen, he cannot walk and he struggles and slowly dies. So Jacob's like, you're not only like, you've got anger issues, you're all, you, you torture animals. Now, when children torture animals, what does that make you know about them? You call 911 because they have the potential to become something really, really bad. These guys were that bad. Not only did you go into this place and, and kill everybody, you, you hamstrung the oxen. Why, why would you do that? It was unnecessary. It's like you're seeing red. The book of James says this. Is it hot in here? Is it just me? Am I just getting like excited about the Bible? I don't know if Sean Logan's around, but it feels unnaturally warm in here. So James 1, 19 and 20 says this. Super wise book. It says, be slow to speak, be quick to listen, and be slow to wrath. Because the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. How wise is that? Be slow to wrath. Has anyone ever been like happy that they snapped? Man, I'm so glad I snapped at that guy. Has anyone ever been like, you know, I wish I hadn't been slow to wrath. I wish I would have just snapped. I, I should have snapped right then. I don't know any situation like that. This is one of the most wise little things in the world. Be slow to wrath, right? So you've got the first three have disqualified themselves because of their character problems. And then we come to Judah. We looked at him on Sunday. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. 
He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. I love this guy. So Judah, you get now, we're at the fourth son. First three in the birth order, they've blown it. Judah comes on, gets this massive, incredible blessing. You're gonna have kings, you're gonna have rulers. You are the line. Now, was Judah a good guy or a bad guy? Man, he started out bad. He married a crazy wife, raised evil sons. Just read chapter 38. And then he sleeps with a prostitute who ends up being his daughter-in-law, gets her pregnant, and she has twins. Okay, that's this guy that's getting all these blessings. This is the guy that will produce the kingly line through which Jesus will be born. And you're like, what? (laughs) Why? Because he changes. And we looked at that back in chapter 44. He changes. See, here's the thing. It's not how you go out. It's how you return. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. That's what matters, isn't it? I'll give you an example of this. So I don't know how many years ago it was. It had to be seven years. I'm going to say seven years. I was over in Brookings with my family and we're right there in Harbor where the beachfront is. And you can park right there, right next to the, next to the ocean. And there's a walk right there. And it's just, it was a brilliant day. And I'm out there building sand castles and having a great time and loving it. And then my brother-in-law, Jake came and he goes, Hey, you want to go fishing with me? I'm like, sure. Why not? And he has this, it's only eight feet long. It's a Walker Bay dinghy. And so we throw it in the Chetco River and I get all my gear, get my fishing rod and my tackle and, we, and I jump in there and we're rowing out and he looks, he's kind of looking around, looking like, oh, he's like, oh man, I only have one life jacket. I'm like, that's no problem. Just give it to me. We're good. <laughs> and this is what he said next. He said this, and I remember, I remember him looking at me. He goes, Matt, don't worry. I have never flipped this boat. I should have just jumped in right then. We're dead. We are dead. You should not have said that. So I'm like, okay, fine. So we go out, we go fishing, we catch some fish. And then we're coming back in and the tide had changed. So the tide's now going out the Chetco River and that bay is emptying. So you got the, the regular flow of the river plus the tide that's coming out from the bay. So uh, Jake's like, man, I can't row anymore. Can you get us in? So I go, sure. So I'm, I'm rowing in the Chetco River, just ah, 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 And I rowed for like six minutes straight, which is exhausting. And I did not move. I'm looking back, I didn't move. I'm like, dude, Jake, I can't make it. Sorry, he's like, okay, we're gonna have to go up on the beach, which is not good because there's breakers on the beach. So I'm like, okay, man, this is yours. This is your craft, which you have never flipped. So it's yours. So he's like, okay. So we get over there and we, we kind of move over and it's kind of at the end where the rocks kind of go out in the pier and, and we're watching like the, the waves come in and uh, I, I keep like looking up and there's like people everywhere because it's that beautiful day. And they're all lined up and you can just see them watching us like, oh, <laughs> This looks dangerous. 
one of those guys does not have a life jacket on. He's a moron. What's gonna happen here? So they're just like watching, like, hmm. And I can see my family right there. They're like playing Frisbee. They're not even noticing us. They're like out there just lollygagging. I'm like, okay, here we go. So Jake's like, all right, all right, all right. And he just starts, and you row backwards. So he's rowing backwards. I'm in the bow of the boat and I keep like looking out to the ocean, like, hmm. And I see this wave building. I'm like, Jake, did you go faster? He's like, ha, ah, ah. ha. I said, you gotta go faster. And that wave, that wave gets us and starts to lift the boat. And I literally stood up in that boat. I'm standing on this. It's only eight feet long. So I'm standing on the seat. I've got the bow of the boat in my chest and I'm trying to lean over to keep it from flipping. That didn't work. We went over. Boom, like just stuff goes everywhere. Snaps, rods. Jake with his life jacket gets sucked out. He's gone. So it's me now I'm trying to like, I flip over the boat, I can't touch. I flip over the boat, I'm trying to throw like everything into it. I'm yelling, help, help. I can still see my family like throwing the Frisbee. They're like oblivious. I'm like, oh, I'm dying. I see like old people picking up their dogs. Don't look at this tiny. No, no, I don't want you to see this. I'm like, help me somebody. I'm trying to pull the boat in. I'm like, I mean, it was insane. Obviously I made it, I'm here. (laughs) It doesn't matter how you go out. It's how you return. <laughs> Are you gonna return shipwrecked, yelling for help, soaking wet and angry? Because that's the way the first three guys go. But Judah, he changes in chapter 44 and demonstrates his heart has changed when he says, take me instead of Benjamin. A very incredible picture of his later descendant, Jesus Christ. It's not how you go out, It's how you come back. There's always time. These first three guys, they don't change, but Judah does. And because of that, Jacob says, the line goes through you now. There's always time. Isn't that amazing? You've got, to me, one of the worst characters, but he ends up brilliantly because he changed. Hmm. Then Zebulun, shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his border shall be at Sidon. So he's a sailor. I would make him one recommendation. Wear a life jacket. It's a very, very good idea. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Here's what happens to Issachar. He's big and he's strong, but he's lazy. He looks for a resting spot, right? He's big and strong, but lazy. He has no work ethic. He makes excuses instead of works hard. He takes naps, he's a vidiot. So as you follow this tribe forward in the Old Testament, what happens is he moves into his territory and he never drives out the enemy. So then the enemy, when he had the chance, when he could have snatched the wind and done it, the enemy comes back, defeats him, and he ends up being their servant and being forced to be their slave. He's, he's lazy, he's undisciplined. It's predictive about this. He could have taken a win, instead he took a nap. Hmm, be careful. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. It'll get prominence. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, 
a viper by the path that bites the horse's heel so that the rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Yahweh. Here's what Dan is. He's a deceiver. If you follow Dan as a tribe forward, what happens is he migrates up north and it's a really bad story in Judges. And then later on, there's this king that decides that they're gonna break away. It's the division of the nations. The two Southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, form their own nation. And the 10 Northern tribes form their own new nation. And Jeroboam's the king. And he goes, you know what? I don't want my people going down to the temple and worshiping Yahweh down there. I wanna set up a new religion. So guess what he makes? A golden calf. I'm like, why would you do that? (laughs) Like you tried that before as a nation and how did that work out for you? God was not happy with that. Like sometimes the the repetitions of sin in the Bible make me just go, oh, the morons until they look at my own life. I'm like, oh, that's me too. I do the exact same thing. (laughs) Why didn't I learn from that? Well, because I'm a moron too. So they end up setting up this. I actually went there in Israel to the place that they had it set up, this golden calf. And it becomes a snare and deceives and leads astray the 10 Northern tribes. And that's Dan. He's that guy, right? He's a snake. That's not a compliment. Bro, you're a snake. And he gets them and deceives them. But then I love verse 18. It's like Jacob says, oh, but there's still good news. We wait for your salvation, O Yahweh. Dan, even though you're that, even though you've done that, even though you're repeating the sins of the past, there's still hope that Yahweh will save even you. How awesome is that? How good our God is. I sat and chatted with this guy yesterday who had these questions theological. And he's like, how, you know, a murderer or this or that, how can God wanna save them? And my example is this. I said, imagine a mom whose son is a convicted murderer. Does that mom still love that child? Absolutely, man. You, 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 right? That mom still, even though she knows what her son has done, she still says, I love my son. I think that's a little glimpse of how God views you and me. He's still my son. He's still Dan. He's still my son. One of the most brilliant Psalms is Psalm 103, verses 11 through 114. And it says this, it begins by saying this, that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high is his hased, steadfast love for you and me. How high are the heavens above earth? Right? I don't know. Science keeps making it bigger, right? And it's about a billion light years across. No, it's about 5 billion light years across. It's about 15 billion light years across. I love that every time I hear it expands because you know what makes me know? God's love just got bigger. It's 15 billion light years across. That's how big God's love is. No, 25 billion. Ah, I like that. 25 billion light years across. That's how great his love is. And then the next verse says this. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God put our transgression, our sin away from him. How far is the east away from the west? Can you just keep going east? Can you just keep going west? Yeah, forever, infinity. Can you keep going north? No, you hit the North Pole and then you go south. So I love just that little thing in there. As far as the east is from the west, they're infinity away. You can just keep going and going and going and going. And then it keeps going. It says, because as a father has pity on his son, so God has pity on us because he knows our frame that we are but dust. 
I know you're just dirt. I made you. Remember back in the garden? I made you out of dirt. I know what you are. You're not gonna trick me. And I still love you. How cool is that? How cool? That's how God sees us. It's like babies. Have you ever helped the baby learn how to walk? What didn't you do in that process? I never said to my kids, Carissa, Bella, Gabrielle, Elijah, Myron, listen, it's been nine months. I've been showing you how to do it. Your mother has shown you how to do it. For a milk bone, the dog will walk on his back feet. What is wrong with you? You moron. Stand up and walk, right? No one does that. And when they finally do walk, you know, they get up, they take the two steps. I call it a drunk orangutan. They're like, arms are going crazy. And then they fall over. What do you think in that moment? You fell? You fell? Man, what is wrong with you, baby? Now, what do you do? You're like, he walked two steps. Man, it was a 4440. Yeah, Instagram it. You celebrate the two steps. You don't bemoan the fall. That's Psalm 103. God celebrates our two steps. He doesn't bemoan our fall. So Dan, take hope. Man, you're gonna totally screw up. But you wait. God's gonna save you. God's gonna get you. Brilliant. Verse 19. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich and he shall yield royal delicacies. So he's the baker. He's the one that makes the pastries. David and Solomon, both those kings actually import from Asher their delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. So I, it seems like Naphtali produced really beautiful grandkids. And Jacob's like, man, those are gorgeous kids, fat and smiley. There's no better baby than a fat, smiley baby. Now we get to Joseph. So Judah and Joseph have both been given massive blessings. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attack him, shoot at him and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father who will help you, by the almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph, and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Judah gets blessed because he changes, he repents. Joseph gets blessed because he is faithful. The New Testament says, 1 Corinthians 4, 2, it is required, not recommended, it is required of leaders to be found faithful. If you want to lead, God would say, here's the one requirement, be faithful. He was faithful to his dad. Dad asked him to do things, he did it. He was faithful as a slave to Potiphar. He was faithful in prison to the chief. He was faithful as prime minister. 
no matter what Joseph did, he was faithful in it. Sometimes I think, well, if I get that, then I'll be faithful. No way. Jesus says in Luke 16, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in big things. If I faithfully do the little things my boss or my mom or my dad asks me that builds into me something that gives me the capacity then to be entrusted with great things like being a prime minister. And that is him. And then this verse 23 is fascinating. The archers bitterly attack him, shoot at him and harassed him severely. What, what is Jacob doing here? He's using a metaphor to explain what had happened to Joseph in his life. The 10 brothers attacking him. Potiphar's wife attacking him, accusing him of rape, accusing him of attacking her, accusing him, right? He's using this as a metaphor. People do that, do you know that? They'll like throw jabs at you like an arrow, like ting, 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 ting. Happens in marriages. Just these little arrows that can happen in marriages. The way to destroy a marriage is to keep throwing arrows at each other. And sometimes it's little ones like driving. Why'd you take this road? This is a slow road. I would have totally taken that road. Why are you doing me on this car? Why'd you pick this line? This is the slowest line to check out. Like these little barbs, be careful of those things. Because they start to add up and they start to hurt and they start to do something. But notice what it says about Joseph. Yet, verse 24, his bow remained unmoved. What does Joseph do? He doesn't shoot back. Remember when Potiphar's wife accuses him? He doesn't shoot back. He's like, okay, okay. I'm not shooting back. Why? Verse 25. By the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you. He trusted God. God, I'm not gonna shoot arrows back at this situation. It will not help. I'm keeping my, my arrow down. I'm not shooting back. I read that this morning and it's, there's been a situation I've been trying to deal with and I thought, that's my answer. I'm not shooting any arrows back. You can be right, I don't care. Because I don't want your blessing, I want God's blessing. I want God's blessing. When you're attacked, Jesus would say, turn the other cheek. Pray for those that despitefully use you. Because what will happen is you trust in God. God alone, you have to take care of this. God alone, you're the one that will bring vengeance. God, I'm gonna trust you. If there's something happening right now, I would say this to you, drop your arrows because it won't fix it. All you do is end up with more blood on your hands. Just drop your arrows like Joseph and he gets God's blessing. We can build in our minds these cases against people. The little lawyer that starts just, ah, 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 this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna shoot this arrow. I'm gonna shoot that arrow. I'm gonna Erase that. Objection, your honor. Help me to shut up. That's your prayer. Objection, your honor. Help me to shut up. Help me erase that tape so I don't go and shoot arrows that just makes this situation worse and worse and worse. So then Benjamin, the last one, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, devouring the prey and at evening, dividing the spoil. So Benjamin, we learn about him. He has these guys that can shoot a slingshot from an incredible amount of distance and they can hit a hare. 
from like 50 yards. It's unbelievable. So they become just this, this tribe of, of fighters. And I think the reason why, because he's the youngest. What happens to the youngest brother? He becomes the favorite of the parent, but he's also picked on by all the brothers, right? So they just get tough. So he's just this tough kid that's gonna grow up and be unbelievably wolf-like, devouring studly. And in the book of Judges, he actually is. He had, he, there's a, it's not a happy story, but it's a fighting story. And with a smaller army, Benjamin wins against all the other tribes. So it comes to pass. So he's done, verse 28. All these are the 12 tribes of, of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from the Ephron, the Hittite, to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife, and there they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, his grandpa, grandma, dad, mom, and there I buried Leah, one of his wives. The field, the cave that is in it were, were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. This is the last step of faith for Jacob. Take me home. Don't bury me here. Bury me in the promised land because God's going to give it to us. What's a good memorial? You've been to memorials? I go to some memorials. What's a good one? Bagpipes? First time I, had, I heard bagpipes at a memorial, I went, that is epic. It like, there's something about that sound. It just stirs. You're like, oh. I have a guy who he's starting this thing. It's, I think it's really cool. And it's to be read at his memorial. And it begins by saying this, don't cry for me because... And he just starts, he's added things for now, a bunch of years. He just starts adding things to it. Don't cry for me because I know my savior, Jesus Christ. Don't cry for me because I married the most fantastic woman on earth. Don't cry for me because I have three kids that are brilliant. Don't cry for me because I've danced. Don't cry for me because I've eaten ice cream. Don't cry for just, he keeps going on. And the last one is this, don't cry for me because I'm home cool. That's what Jacob's saying right here. Don't cry for me. Take me home. Take me to the promised land. And so now they begin that verse 50 or chapter 50. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. Is a grown man kissing his dad. I don't have, never had a dad that way have kids. Do grown men kiss their dads? I hope so. I think Joseph is an emotionally healthy guy and he kisses his dad. I'm making Elijah and Myron memorize this verse. <laughs> you will kiss me when you get older. Right there, it's biblical. Before I die, <laughs> not when I'm dead. 
And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. And when the days of weeping for him were passed, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh. It seems like his relationship with Pharaoh has changed now because he's no longer needed, right? It's the old, what have you done for me today? So now he's actually got to speak through servants to Pharaoh. So probably a different position. If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh saying, my father bade me swear saying, I'm about to die. In the tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan, that's what you call preparing for your death. I dug my own grave (laughs) that I hewed for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. And when they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made mourning for his father seven days. Then the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshold floor of Atad. And they said, this is grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizram. And it is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. I do memorial services. And the hardest thing in a memorial service for me is a slideshow. To see this life and then now the disconnect between that life, it's weird. If there's one time in a memorial service that I will cry, it's looking at those pictures. Like, how can that be? How could there have been this this being, this human, and now it's not, right? It's weird, it's surreal to me. And I think it's the echo of Eden that's in all of us that says we were never designed to die, we were designed to live. And there are certain moments where you're just like, this is wrong, this is wrong. And for me, it's a slideshow that that guy should still be laughing with his bride and kissing his babies. That's what should be happening. And because that's not happening, it's wrong. And I like it. But here's the good news. 1 Corinthians 15 says that when you believe in Jesus, death no longer is the executioner. Death is now the gardener. That this body is a seed that gets planted and what it produces 
is brilliant in comparison to the seed that was planted. I like that. I love that. I drive from here sometimes down south. In fact, I did it the day after Christmas because there's a place that I love. It's called the Redwoods. I go down there not to look at redwood seeds because they're tiny. Have you seen a redwood seed? It's nothing, right? People don't drive thousands of miles to go down to Stout Grove to look at redwood seeds. What do they look at? The tree, because they're glorious and magnificent. What we are going to become, the closest Paul can compare it to is a redwood seed compared to the redwood tree. Death is no longer the executioner. Death is now the gardener. And we get planted for those that believe in Jesus. And what comes out of that is unbelievable, magnificent. And then people get hung up on, well, he was cremated or he was embalmed. Well, is that okay? So no matter if you're embalmed, cremated, buried in a pine box, buried in a $10,000 plastic, uh, humid controlled, I don't care what it is, Listen, for you to be resurrected, it's going to take a miracle. It's not just gonna take some vastly intensive care, you're gonna be fine. It's gonna take a miracle. It doesn't matter to me. It's just a seed. And I trust God can resurrect whatever I am. So Jacob has this huge funeral. Why does Jacob get this huge funeral? Because of his son, Joseph, right? Dignitaries come. They travel, massive, huge. Why? Because his connection to Joseph. You and I are gonna have a massive memorial. You know why? Because we're connected to Jesus, the greater than Joseph. It's Acts 7, by the way. Stephen, the first martyr, when he is stoned, what happens? He looks up, heavens are open, and who's greeting him? Jesus and all of heaven. Come home. I'm home now. Come home. Celebrate. And when I look at the grieving period here, it's amazing. 40 days to embalm, 70 days to grieve. They get to the gravesite and they say there are seven days. They grieved a long time. I wonder if we grieve too shortly in our fast paced society. And because we grieve so shortly, we never quite get over it. Instead of just really lamenting and crying and weeping for 70 days and seven days by the gravesite, we spend seven minutes at the gravesite. They spent seven days. And I think they got over it better. I think the ancients did a lot of things that were actually holistically better so that you could move, be, move on things. And we don't do it. We don't really grieve deeply and lament and cry and talk and share tons of stories. And then we're like, I'm healed. All right, I can go on now. We don't do that. I think they healed better. We do it too short. Well, in Joseph's brothers, verse 15, saw that their father was dead. They said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, yeah, <laughs> deception. <laughs> Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, 
but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I almost did Sunday on this because it's so brilliant. Joseph weeps when they say this to him. Why does he weep? Because he can't believe that his brothers think so little of him. That he's been just biding his time for 17 years that once dad's gone, I'm gonna pummel you. And he's hurt, he crushed by that. You think so little of me? And he just weeps. What I found in the marriage counseling that I do, the hardest hits that come to a spouse are the character issues. I can't believe you'd think so little of me. I can't believe you wouldn't trust me that way. I can't believe you would even think that was my motive. Those are the hardest things in America. That's what caused big, the big weeping. So he weeps right here. And they believe because of Joseph's character that he hasn't really forgiven them. And because of that, they've lived in fear now for 17 years. And now that Jacob's gone, they're really scared. Do we do the same thing to God? and his forgiveness for us, that we don't think enough of his grace and his mercy and his character, that then we live in fear and doubt and worry as well. Do we do the same things to God? I think we do. That's why for me, constantly telling you over and over and over that he is good and he is generous and he's full of grace and mercy is so important because we're just like the brothers. Now he's mad at me today. I didn't read my Bible. I didn't pray enough. I didn't... I didn't give enough to the building fund. I should have given more. Yes, you should have. <laughs> that was totally random right there, by the way. <laughs> but I like it. <laughs> Don't. And what you see here is I just call it the ABCs of reconciliation. I'll do it super fast. Number one, you want to reconcile with people that maybe have done evil to you? A is... Appeal to God, verse 19. Come on, am I in the place of God? Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Here's what he's saying. A couple things. Number one, Joseph knows this. Hey, back in chapter 37, I wasn't the best dude. I kind of did some things that started this thing. I should have told you the dreams the way that I did. I kind of wore my Gucci coat all the time, throwing that in your face. I get it. I wasn't what I was, should be. I do that even today. Like I'll think back about things that I'm, I'm 45 right now. I think back about things I did when I was 40. I'm like, man, that was stupid. Why didn't somebody stop me? Man, I can't believe that. But today, you know what I think? I think I'm on it. I think I'm doing really good today. But when I get to 50, I'll look back on 45-year-old Matt. I'll be like, man, what a moron. Why didn't somebody stop me? Right? We all do that because we're in process and we're in changing. So Joseph realizes, hey, I've changed. I get it. But then number two, he knows this. And guys, I don't have all the information. I don't know the motive of your heart. I don't know why you did these things. I don't know everything behind it. I don't know how dad hurt you. I don't know how the favoritism, how it, how it began to grow you crooked. I don't know all that stuff and God does. Don't try to judge a person's heart or their person. You just, you always are wrong. I'm not in the place of God. Number one, just appeal to God. I, I'm not in this place. I don't have all the information. That's number one. Number two, get a better perspective. As for you, you 
meant evil against me. He does not gloss over what they did to him. I think reconciliation fails in the church today because what we say when we're, when we're talking about forgiveness and stuff, we're like, oh, it's okay, bro. He doesn't say that. You were evil to me. The New Testament would call it rebuke. So in Luke 17, three, Jesus talks about this issue and he says this, if a brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. We don't do the rebuke anymore, do we? We don't say, you hurt me. Your actions destroyed me. This is what it did to me. We don't do that because it's really awkward. But because we don't do that, the tape in our head never gets, re- never gets erased. It's always there to replay and replay and replay. And so we're never over that situation. We keep kind of going back to it and be like, because I don't like, uh. and then when you do that, when you express an emotion, what happens to you? So if, if you start expressing anger, do you all of a sudden feel like, oh, shalom? No, you get angrier, right? You get building, you're like, ah, you get up. Well, when you keep playing that tape, what happens to the process, process of reconciliation and forgiveness is, ah, you get, you get back up just like you were before. Rebuke is huge. No, you hurt me. No, you hurt me. You meant evil against me but you cannot stop there. But God, but God, there's the better perspective. God took your raw and turned it into tov. God took all your evil that you wanted to do against me and he has turned it to good. You should keep a record in your own journal of all the times that there has been raw turned to tov in your life because it will blow you away how God does this over and over and over again. Edgewater is a church because of a raw. I went to India, I got super sick, ended up being gone at Applegate for like a month, just raw. I was like, sitting raw. It was right during SARS and H1N1. And so like I go to the hospital, like I was in India and I'm sick. They're like, oh, CNN, man. First SARS case in Southern Oregon. So it was like test, how was the test case? For like 10 days, I'm just like, ah. Turns out it was just strep throat. <laughs> the doctor's like, oh man, man, that's, oh. <laughs> didn't even give me that test. I got a really bad sore throat. Yeah, you got SARS. No, you don't. And because of that, I was gone from Applegate for like a month. And I think they decided, you know what? We don't really need him here. Send him out to start church. Rah, the tove. There's so much of this that happens. Have that perspective. God, you can take this raw that this person has done to me and you alone and turn it into tov. And then see the ABCs, it's gonna cost you. Verse 21, do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. It's gonna cost you. Peace is awesome, but it's not cheap. It's gonna cost you your sense of justice. It's gonna cost you your desire to get back at them. It's gonna cost you, ah, they deserve this. It's gonna cost you that. And you better be willing to pay that price. It might cost you financially because you should not be overcome of evil, but you overcome evil with good. I'm gonna overcome this. I'm gonna actually help them and bless them in some way. It'll cost you. But if you're willing to do this, what happens is this. You become extremely humble and your confidence in God skyrockets and you become a different kind of person. Brilliant. The seed starts to sprout. Verse 22, 
So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Makur, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. This goes back to the adoption by Israel of Ephraim and Manasseh. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. He goes home. And if you read Exodus, you find that Moses carried them. So people are like, dude, Moses, what's in the bag? Human bones? Oh, that's awesome. He carries them and buries them. And this is Joseph saying, I have total confidence in the promise of God to plant us in the promised land. In the New Testament, there's this chapter, it's called the Hall of Faith, Hebrews 11. It's the stories of faith, and they're not all good in the Old Testament, you know, but there are these, these mountaintops, and the mountaintops get collected together of the stories of faith, and they get put into this chapter in Hebrews. Joseph makes one appearance in there. Guess what his appearance is? When you think of the life of Joseph, I'd be like, well, you know, it was the interpretation of dreams. It was the saving of the nation. It was, it was Genesis 50, 20. Nope. The one place he makes it in the hall of faith is take my bones home. He had such faith in the promise of God to bring them into the promised land. That's what makes him in. God, you're gonna take me home. Don't cry for me because I'm home. And then... One final note on this. Genesis begins in a garden and it ends in a grave because death has entered. But the New Testament begins with death, begins with a grave, right? The genealogy is what? It's a list of people that have died. All these people died, 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 died. But they gave birth to a life. And the New Testament ends in a garden called New Jerusalem because the difference is King Jesus. And our same hope that Joseph had to go home is in that king. Don't cry for me, I'm home. That's a good memorial. Don't cry for me, I'm home. Do you have that faith? Do you know of certainty that you could say on your deathbed, don't cry for me, I'm going home. If you don't have that certainty, talk to me because you can have it. Don't cry for me, I'm home. Father, I thank you for Genesis. I thank, for, thank you for its brilliant portrayal of you working with and through flawed people. I thank you that you continue to work with and through flawed people. I pray that each one of us would know how good and how generous you are. That even if we've lived lives like Judah, <laughs> there's always time to change and come into your family, the kingly line, just like him.
I pray, Lord, that each one of us would have the hope that Joseph had, the hope that Jacob had, the hope that you give to us, that we are seeds that one day will be planted in the garden city of New Jerusalem, producing something unimaginable. May we all have that hope, I pray. And I ask this in your name, amen.